On today's episode, we talked to Chris Rasmussen of the band Brackets about the music of Silkworm. This is The Operative. I'm your host, Chris Williams. So yeah, thank you for coming over and talking. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your band, all that. Uh, I'm originally from Moscow, Idaho, uh, which is a small town in northern Idaho, um, and it's probably the most liberal town in the state. Well, Boise has become an actual liberal city, but uh, definitely in that part of Idaho, which is mostly known for uh, neo-Nazis and uh, the Ruby Ridge, like all that stuff. It's uh, So it's a small college town, um, had a college radio station, had record stores and everything. Uh, so I grew up there, then moved to a small town in northeastern Washington called Newport, which has nothing uh, uh, except for a slowly dying uh, lumber industry and the most profitable Safeway by square footage in the state. Uh, And then I moved to the western side of the state and went to college in Bellingham, which is about 90 90 miles north of Seattle, and then moved to Seattle and, you know, from there. But uh, all of my, like, major getting into music and such gears were all in uh, all in Moscow, which, for being such a small town, had, like, a mall record store and, like, two, like, really good independent record stores with, like, really, like, I mean, I was this, like, you know, 11, 12-year-old kid with, finishing my paper out, getting my weekly paycheck for... $17 or whatever for delivering papers, riding my bike back down, you know, to downtown with my paper boy satchel on and buying used tapes. And like the guys who worked at the record store, I don't know if they just thought it was like a novelty that I would come in or whatever, but they were like, Oh, this is this like, they would, they were always awesome. And like, I remember like one time being like, uh, I read about this band, the Rollins band. Like, do you have any like Rollins band tapes? And they're like, nah here take this and they like sold me the like a black flag set they're like no 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 don't even go to the rollins band here just buy some black flag and it wasn't even henry rollins era black flag it was like just here just just go to this like automatically uh so like yeah i was i mean i was able to be like this kid in a small town that like you know, it's still Idaho, it's still small, like, it's not, there's, you know, and it was the 90s, so this is, like, 92, 93, like, up to about 96 when we moved to Newport, and I could walk into a record store and buy, like, used Sonic Youth tapes, and, like, read about something in, like, Spin, or, like, the, I would go to the library and check out all the, like, the Rolling Stone, like, encyclopedia of rock and roll, and, like, read all this stuff, and, like, then be like special order like Stooges Funhouse, and and they would special order that for me and like get it in sock. And it was like for it being like pre Napster, pre internet, being able to have all music at your fingertips. Like I I feel I, I had it relatively good as far as being able to find and discover stuff as a kid. So uh, 
what was your first experience with Silkworm? How did you come across them in the same way? Uh, yeah, so so Seattle had so even um, Moscow is it's right on the the border of uh, Idaho and Washington, um, and right over the border in um, Washington is this town Pullman that has uh, one of the big state schools, uh, WSU. So there are also a couple record stores there, uh, and apparently occasionally bands would play there every often. Like I like. I definitely remember finding a like handbill for a bikini kill fits of depression show. I didn't go to it cause I was 11, but you know, and I, my parents weren't going to drive me to it, unfortunately. But, uh, so Seattle, so we're, you know, six hour drive from Seattle, but you, uh, there was still like, uh, enough of the culture, especially at the time, like the whole grunge era and everything like Seattle stuff was pretty accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was actually in Seattle a weekly music magazine, music like instead of just like an alt weekly, it was an alt weekly but just for music, called the Rocket that ran for twenty years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one, there was an issue, and this was probably this would have been like fall of ninety five or something, I think. So yeah, sometime late ninety five, um, there was an issue and like. And I would always get it and like read it and stuff, and because uh, I was headed at the record stores in Moscow, and there was an article on Silkworm, and I think it was right after they gotten signed to Matador, and in the article they talk about like, you know, their next record Firewater is coming out on Matador, and they're a three piece now, so like it's it's like, so I think that this was like pretty soon after they had like become a three piece, um, and in the article it specifically was like. Missoula, the, or these guys originally come from Missoula, so it, it's the, you know, bands that come from smaller towns sort of have this ability to, you're sort of isolated and develop your own identity, and it was, like, similar to Pavement being from Stockton and Built to Spill being from Boise, and I already liked and loved Pavement and Built to Spill. I was like, well, if that's the two bands that they're <laughs> referencing in this, like, I got, like, this this is immediately up my alley. Like, I, like, at, like I'm sure this is going to be awesome. Uh, and then, uh, at some point after I'd read that article, um, I went into one of the pawn shops that was in downtown Moscow. So not even at one of the record stores, like just a regular old pawn shop and was going through their UCDs, which was usually like, I don't know, 10 copies of Metallica's Black Album or, you know, a bunch of like shitty eighties kiss records and stuff. And going through it, I found this CD of the Silkworm in the West, like, uh, used, and I bought it for, like, five bucks or something, and uh, and took it home and put it on, and was just, like, especially how that record starts so quietly with Garden City Blues and everything, and just, like, totally, like, blew me away immediately, and, like, even though it sounded like the stuff I was into, like, Pavement and Dinosaur Jr. and Guided by Voices and Built to Spill and all that stuff... It was just something like different about it, mm-hmm. and like, like listening to it and being like, "This is like, this is just weird." Like, there's three guys singing; they don't really sing on each other's songs, and like, the vocals are sometimes quiet. Like, and you have like, in the it, like, the record is just kind of quiet, and then but then it gets super loud, and I it was just, I mean. Just a it was like it sounded enough like everything else I liked, but also just 
different. Like it just like it took some sort of right turn from everything else that that I was into. Um, and then uh, it, it's a it's phenomenal that I found that in a pawn shop. Like uh, with, along with like I mean you know there's the whole pawn shop guns a bunch mm-hmm. of like used PB amps over here and then like a silicone CD. And so yeah, that was the first time I. So I hadn't heard them until I bought that mm. that copy of In the West for like five bucks or whatever used indie rock CDs in a pawn shop went for in Northern Idaho at the time, and I'm sure that was like that must have been the promo copy from right. the college radio station. They like rejected, and the guy just took a stack to like the record store, a stack to the other record store. And then took the remainder of like what he couldn't get rid of at the record stores to the pawn shop. Well, that's that's funny because the the first the first Silkhorn that I owned was uh, Developer, and I found that at a uh, used books and CD store. And I knew about Silkhorn. I'd heard about them. I think for the same reason that, that like something about them being signed to Matador. And it was like, oh, well, I like all these mm-hmm. other Matador bands. And I, I'm i not sure. I guess maybe at that point, What's Up Matador had come out, and, which has uh, the acoustic version of Couldn't You Wait Oh, on. okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I'm at the store. At, um, shit, I can't remember which store it was. But uh, I'm flipping through, and there was a promo copy of Developer that I still have. And it's just like a white sleeve with a oh, sticker on the front yeah, of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and then I took it home and I was like, well, this is nothing like this other song that I have. And also very different from Any, the, everything else. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, like, I had seen them with, uh, I went to see Pavement. Pavement was on tour with uh, the show that I went to. It was Pavement, Shudder to Think, and Silkworm. And... Uh, the only one that I was really familiar with was uh, Pavement. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that I'd seen a Shudder to Think video and was like, oh, I think they're kind of glammy. Yeah, yeah. And then the first band came out and they're dressed like sailors. <laughs> and I was <laughs> what like, a, what the hell is this? What a weird bill. Especially weird. That's such a weird bill because at that time, like, I mean, you had Pavement and Silkworm were both on Matador. Like, they were, you know, like, yeah, I mean, Pavement was huge. Way, mm-hmm. You know, but like, there's a lot of commonalities and th- like, you know, b- between the classic rock influence and the like '80s post-punk and mm-hmm. post-hardcore. But Shudder to Think was on a major label at that point, like, <laughs> and had been on Discord before. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's just a a weird sandwich. Yeah. That is like, that's like, oh, I have, I have like a this really delicious piece of focaccia bread, and then this like really good like gritty piece of wheat bread you know what i'm gonna put in the middle of this some fucking gummy bears <laughs> shudder to think is the gummy bears in, in the in the weird uh focaccia and whole wheat because you have two different kinds right. of bread in the sandwich right yeah right. yeah as, as one does when making a sandwich uh so so you found out about or you you, you got in the west and uh how did did, did it immediately like have an impact on you in, in terms of were you playing music at this time? Uh, or? I think at that point I was I was playing guitar, but uh, 
so that would have been yeah that would have been like the end of 95 was when i some when i came across that or whatever mm-hmm. so i played guitar but like uh so at that point i was in eighth grade so i was 13 um and like i had friends at school who were into music but i didn't really have like like hanging out all the time friends or anything like that mm-hmm. like uh so i i didn't i like i played guitar but i just played guitar by myself and like wrote like songs by myself that i would like record at home on like a just a cassette recorder or whatever mm-hmm. um so i don't necessarily remember it having an immediate impact um in that sense uh so i i definitely and then so later on i found firewater like um like used like at one of the record stores slightly later like a, like a few months after it came out so the sometime in 96 um and then that summer is when my family moved to newport which like was just totally isolated i mean there was it's it's an hour north of spokane which is like the uh a, a fairly large city but like it's not a touring destination for bands or anything oh, like right. that yeah. um and then being like an hour further north of that like i didn't know anybody in high school that played music or was into like punk rock or indie rock or anything like uh so i kind of like just in like between 96 and like 2000 is just the sort of like period where I didn't really keep up with anything going on in music because mm-hmm. like there was no re- there was no record store like I could get to Spokane maybe once a week or every other week um but like there was no place to go like I couldn't buy records like I I mean I couldn't really do mail order at the time mm-hmm. like I just I didn't really like keep up with things mm-hmm. um so I didn't really get any of the rest of their catalog until after that um and then when I moved to college, uh, to Bellingham to go to college, and Bellingham has always had, like, a pretty active music scene, music community, and, like, uh, the, like, there was venues and bands and stuff, and I found, like, the rest of their albums all used there. I, I, oh, I actually yeah. don't think I've ever, until they started doing recent reissues and repressings, I don't think I'd actually, I think... I think either Italian Platinum or It'll Be Cool was the first one that I actually bought new. <laughs> everything else I just bought was like used copies or promos. Or even when I started buying, like getting everything on vinyl, it was all like, it was like discounted. Like, yeah, nobody's buying this, especially in Seattle because nobody gave a shit about them in Seattle. Yeah. Um, so I, I like, it was, I, I just remember like finally like getting developer in like 2000 or 2001 and being like, oh yeah, man. I love those two Silkworm records. Like, I know they kept putting out records, like, and then getting developer and be like, that record's fucking weird. Like, this <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. And then getting Blue Blood and be like, well, this is more accessible, but why did they do this next? Um, and then, so I didn't really start playing in bands until I was uh, a couple years into, until I was in college and, you know, meeting people who were in the same stuff as me and, uh, and then, especially once I started uh, uh, playing bass, there was a uh, band in town in, in Bellingham that uh, that was a couple, um, and I was already friends with the drummer, and he was recording a 
project that I was doing. And then his girlfriend moved back, moved to Bellingham, and they decided to make their band more of a like a full-time thing. So they asked me to play bass, and I never played bass in a band. And I really didn't know anything about bass or bass gear or like what I should do mm-hmm. or anything. And, and I think that's really when like I started getting drawn to those records a lot more because the bass is just mixed like high. Mm-hmm. It sounds amazing. Like the bass tone is phenomenal. The bass playing is super weird and just totally out there. And and I think that's really when I kind of started like digging more into those those records and really like getting super obsessed and being like, oh man, like yeah, I got these two records when I was like fourteen, but there's this whole other catalog of amazing stuff. Um, yeah, so it really didn't have much of an impact on me until like as far as playing or anything until I started actually like playing bass, and that's, that was in like two thousand three or something. That's it. That's interesting to me because the so yeah when when i when i went to college like one of the like the one of the first times that my parents came up to visit me like in the first month or so that i was at college uh my uh we went out to dinner and uh, after dinner my dad said oh do you want to run by the cd store i'll Mm -hmm. pick you up a couple cds and uh i i i meant to get a jawbreaker cd instead i got a jaw box cd <laughs> uh which has proven to be much better in the long uh-huh, run uh-huh. Uh, but uh the other thing that i got was blue blood i was flipping through and blue blood had come out and i took it back and yeah i, I listened to it and at the time the band that i was in we we were going to do a thing where we switched off on guitar and bass and so I was having to learn how to play bass more because I'd never really, I'd only played it when I had to play it in bands. Um, but yeah, when when I got Blue Blood and started having to play bass, I like immediately start, like really got drawn to Silkworm mm-hmm. and started trying to, like everything that I was writing, it was like, had these weird like walkie bass parts yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And it, So in also kind of in the, uh, I mean, I guess sort of before I started playing bass i did like uh so and this was this would have been 2002 i uh saw silkworm the only time i got to see them Mm. was in uh the summer of 2002 um opening up for mission of burma on their like first like chunk of reunion shows so they burma came to 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 seattle and my roommates and i were in bellingham and so we came down um, for the show, and I remember being like, "Oh, Silkworm's on the bill! Oh, awesome!" And I think this was before I kind of dug back into them, so I knew I had like, so I had Developer, I had In the West, so I had Firewater, but I hadn't like gotten much else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh man, it'd be awesome to finally see those guys!" Uh, and I think I had like some awareness of like, "Oh, I think they'd moved to Chicago, like they're not in Seattle anymore." And uh, so when they like, it was this venue at the. Uh, experience music project the EMP which is like Paul Allen's like mm-hmm. look at my Jimi Hendrix guitars look be my friend I'm cool um, and it was a venue called the Sky Church and uh, so like Silkworm comes out and like myself and like I think my two other friends are basically standing like right in front of the stage and the way like Burma had their stuff all backlined and Silkworm had set up, and, like, the drums were, like, the kick drum was probably, like, three feet away from where I was standing. Like, it was super up close. And it was 
the loudest drumming I have ever <laughs> heard in my life. Like, it's still, like, probably the loudest drumming. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's in, like, this really, I mean, it's probably, like, a thousand-person venue or something. So it's, like, with huge open ceiling. And it was, st- and like, e- without even hearing the PA, the drums were so loud. Uh, and I, th- I think Matt Cadena was on that tour, too. So it was, like, the, oh, the keyboards yeah. four-piece. Um, and... But I didn't know any of the songs because they were only. Pl- I mean, so this was two thousand two. I think Italian Platinum had just come out, so they only played Italian Platinum and I think Lifestyle songs. Ah, um, I'm pretty sure they opened with "Hope You Don't Survive" because I. So they were playing. Michael is just flailing as he's so he does you know the drummer thing of like you have your kick drum and you you they you know they set all their their sticks like on top of the kick drum and he had like like probably like three sticks on each side like on the lugs within seconds all of the sticks had flown off the <laughs> kick drum were just right just like and they like all rolled right in front of where i was standing and like you know they finished the first song and michael just gets up and he's like oh sorry sorry and i'm like oh here you go so i like <laughs> handed his drumsticks back to him and uh then they closed that set with oh i'm so terrible at song titles uh song off of fire water the earth shook oh severance bay yeah severance yeah. bay yeah 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 that, and that, so that was the only song i recognized in the entire oh. set but like i mean just like getting to see that and even being like holy shit that guy can that guy can play guitar like yeah. uh and then a photo of andy from that show is the cover of it'll be cool oh nice. yeah um and there's footage in, like, the extras with the documentary. There's, like, a couple, like, one or two songs from from that Skytrich show. Mm. And uh, Mission of Burma has that, like, plastic thing that goes in front of the drum kit so that Roger Miller's ears don't get blasted. Right, yeah. And you can just see the reflection of my face in the plastic, like, plexiglass thing. Like, you know, it's like, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. And I've seen footage of Burma from that show, too, where I'm like, yep, that's me. Like, <laughs> I mean, also, I'm tall enough that like it's fairly easy to spot me right. <laughs> like in any sort of like show footage but uh especially in that like that silkworm set like it was probably only the venue was probably only half full when they mm. started playing and i think i think they only came back to seattle a couple of times after that uh they came back i know they came back one time and played with clint conley's other band um but that i think that was still before i was 21 or I just didn't couldn't come down from Bellingham because it was still it's a, you know ninety minute drive oh, or right, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I was still in Bell- still living in Bellingham, and they went after Italy Cool came out. And by that point, I was like totally yeah. obsessed, like in, in like two thousand five, um, like abs like insanely obsessed. And they they were doing like a West Coast tour with the New Year, and I was super into. I was like. I mean, I was full on yeah. in, like, this is, like, this is my jam. And they were playing a show at the Crocodile. And I was like, oh, yeah. I don't care if I have to take the fucking Greyhound. I'm going to the show. <laughs> and then I got asked to fill in for bass for two shows for my favorite Bellingham band, who are, like, all the guys I ended up playing with in Police Teeth. And mm-hmm. uh, they were they were like, oh, uh, can you play bass for these shows? And I was like, okay, I'll get to see them some other time. Right. And I'm pretty sure that Seattle show is the second to last show that Michael played. Uh. It's like ah motherfucker, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, 
yeah, I I'm glad I at least got the I saw them once. Yeah. And and uh yeah, and then like yeah, by the time I was like an active bass player and playing in, in the the band race track that I was I was playing in, like I was totally like stealing Tim stuff like <laughs> left and right and uh and there's like one specific racetrack song that like I I wrote on bass and the verses are like a total rip of Cotton Girl like <laughs> like I totally just like stole the like the like the kind of shuffle vibe that mm-hmm. like of the verses it completely completely stole it That's like awesome. yeah <laughs> so is this it, I assume that Silkworm is still a band that you listen to oh, quite yeah. frequently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you know, any any favorite band, you go through, like, ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, and, I mean, I feel like, I feel like it's just like, you know, I'll, it'll be, I, I'm, I'm just the kind of person with music where I will just get real, like, super tunnel vision and get obsessed and be like, I'm only listening to crowd rock and like, I will only listen to seventies German music for the next six months. And like, you know, my, my girlfriend would be like, like, I'm like, come on, it's another can record. Come on, more can. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you can't just listen to can for seven hours a day, but you know, you can, but other people may not, not necessarily want to, or like, it'll be like, no, I'm, I'm really just going to listen to, uh, doom metal for the next six months like and just like that's all i get into or like dub and like yeah i'm just listening to the 70s dub that's all i listen to and uh so i I just get like super tunnel vision and get really obsessed with like specific things but then i feel like like silkworm records are just those things that like pop up back up as i'll be like you know i'll have like i'll have my like ipod and shuffle or whatever and like something will come, like, uh, you know, will come on, like, maybe, and maybe it's a song that I, I didn't really, like, listen to super intently before, and it'll be like, holy shit, this is so good, and then I'm just like, all right, then it, then it's just, like, the catalog, like, right. is just there for, like, the next, like, week, like, I just plow through everything, and then, and then, you know, uh, and then my girlfriend will be like, you just listen to, like, seven Soulcore records in a row, I'm like, yeah, it's great, it's awesome, <laughs> Like, like who who wouldn't want to listen to Seven Soulgrim records in a row? Like, this is the but the greatest band. Well, it, so that that brings to mind something that I, I just talked about, uh, I, like only hours ago, with people is the and they they touch on it in the documentary is the idea of either. Uh, you're not into Silkworm or you're really mm-hmm. into Silkworm and do you uh, I uh, in my experience that that seems to be oh, the, the true absolute, nature of it but. absolutely absolutely I, I mean it's sort of I mean especially like early on discovering them like fairly early in their career longevity like you know like they're you know getting into them on their like third record or second record or whatever mm-hmm like and then and like there was nothing else about them like i do remember having an issue of alternative press in 96 after firewater came out and there was an an interview with silkworm and i think i may have even like cut the photo of them out and that was like on my wall with everything else mm-hmm. uh and uh i believe the cure was on the cover of that huh. issue it was when wild mood swings came out um but like there wasn't 
I mean, especially pre-internet, like it's not like there was any like I didn't know, I didn't know anybody else who was into like pavement who had like an actual buzz bin like like cut your hair was a big mm-hmm. song like that was a single like I heard that on not just the college radio station but I heard that on like the FM station right, in yeah, Moscow yeah. like that was an actual like hit or or even a band like Sonic Youth like they had like you know like videos that would get played during the daytime yeah. on on MTV like yeah, like Sugarcane or Teenage Riot yeah or yeah or Bull in the Heather yeah or yeah, something. Bull in the Heather yeah. yeah yeah like there was I didn't even know anybody, especially when I moved to Newport, I didn't even know anybody who was into that, mm-hmm. let alone a band that was, like, appealed to even a smaller subset of the people that that appealed. Like, right. um, so, like, I I mean, I, yeah, I, like, there just wasn't anybody to discuss it with. So, uh, and then sort of discovering, like, the electrical the forum and it was like mm-hmm. and then and the silkworm forum at the time and i was like oh wait there's a bunch of other people who like this band who right. are like really obsessed with this band and it i mean it i i still like i, I feel like you don't if if there's somebody that you talk to and they're like oh you know i've never really like checked them out or like nobody's ever like uh they're like yeah I, I bought like one or two records like they're they're pretty good it's like uh, I gave him a shot. This is not my thing. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, I bought two records and I need to have everything mm-hmm. now. Like, there's no, there is no middle ground. I think I, I feel like that's still true. Next time, we conclude our conversation with Chris Rasmussen about Silkworm. The Operative is produced in conjunction with Radio Nope. For a full listing, go to radionope.com.